seated. It's awesome to be here with you all today. In 1988, the movie Big came out, directed by Penny Marshall. Probably most of you, over like 35, have seen this movie. Tom Hanks played the leading role. The premise of the movie was that Hanks' character wished he were big. He was a teen boy that he wanted to be big, so he wished he would be big. And then he woke up the next morning and he was a full-grown man. He was Tom Hanks. Hijinks and hilarity ensued. Hanks' character gets a job, an apartment, and a girlfriend. The movie is considered an 80s classic by some. I'm actually surprised it hasn't been remade in the 35 years since. Many of the movie's jokes are a play on the fact that while the character Hanks played is physically a full-grown man, internally he's a 12-year-old boy. He behaves in silly ways. He is unprofessional at work. He doesn't know how to be in an adult relationship. He is a man child. Often, Christians have a different but related problem. We appear to be spiritually mature on the outside, but emotionally on the inside we are immature you can't actually be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature both go hand in hand a person who is limited in one area of maturity will be limited by how much they can advance in other areas of maturity. It's going to be our focus today is, is thinking about that disconnect between emotional and spiritual maturity. To do that, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 25 through 32. Those, will be, those verses will be on the screen behind me. They can also be found in the Pew Bible. That's Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving 
one another as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Spiritual maturity is an outworking of the gospel in the life of a Christian. It is something that takes place progressively over time. Spiritual maturity will result in emotional maturity. These verses describe the development of emotional maturity in Christians. Emotional maturity can be seen in how we relate to God and other people. Christians should aspire to emotional maturity just as we should aspire to spiritual maturity. They are not the same thing, but to be spiritually mature, we must be emotionally mature. Emotion, knowledge, and action are all interrelated. Christians often talk about this interrelatedness as heart, hands, and head. All need to be aligned. If one aspect of our being is operating in contradiction to God's good purposes, it will impact all other areas. There is nobody that knows what is true and acts upon it that is ruled by sinful emotions at the same time. These verses highlight the importance of all aspects of our personhood. Throughout this sermon series, we've been focusing on our emotions. Emotions are not necessarily more problematic than any area. They can be and often are as problematic as any other area, though. Verses 29 and 31 warn Christians about what we say and the emotions that invigorate those words. Verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When I hear that phrase, corrupting talk, I think of dirty jokes. And I think we're pretty much all on the same page here that dirty jokes are not particularly appropriate. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell a dirty joke right now. But seriously, if, if we were down in coffee hour, if we were down in the fellowship hall, and somebody just started repeating the newest Dave Chappelle comedy routine, or they started talking like Dan Carlin, everyone would be a bit uncomfortable. Most people that have been in church for very long know this sort of humor is just not appropriate without anyone reminding them. I don't think Christians have embraced verse 31, which says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice to the same extent. Bitterness, wrath, and malice are acceptable emotions 
in many churches. We excuse these emotions. After all, we have enemies that are destroying that which we love. Wanting to see them hurt or destroyed is reason. Sandwiched between verse 29, which warns us about corrupting talk, and verse 31, which warns us about toxic emotions, there is verse 30. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Christians speaking corruptly grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't have any issue understanding why this is the case. Christians being bitter or wrathful grieves the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit wants us to put away sinful emotions as much as he wants us to put away sinful behavior. As we talked about earlier in this series, some have taken the Bible's concerns about sinful emotions to mean that Christians just shouldn't have any emotions. It's not what the text is saying. We are emotional beings. We can't not feel, nor should we try. Our desire should be to have emotions that don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Part of the challenge when it comes to avoiding emotions that grieve the Holy Spirit is that determining what emotion is good and what emotion is bad is often difficult for us. We focus on actions such as the way we talk because it's just really easier to understand whether a certain action we do is good or bad. People that are part of the church are all pretty much on the same page about corrupting talk. Although this certainly doesn't mean we avoid corruptible talk in all situations. It is not unusual for people to talk one way at church and then speak differently at work or at school. The point is not that we always do what we know is right, but that we all have standards for behavior that we're pretty confident in. Emotions are a different matter. We don't know how to categorize many of the emotions we feel. The verses are clear that we shouldn't be bitter or have malice. Don't really debate that. The reason we lack clarity is that we don't always know what type of emotion we are feeling. Sometimes this is a result of ignorance. Often it is a result of denial. Malice is different from righteous indignation, but it can be hard for us to know which of those emotions we are feeling. What, what is the difference between being bitter, which we are told to avoid, and not trusting someone who has hurt us in the past, which is a totally reasonable boundary to draw? Emotional maturity requires a spiritual foundation. 
Emotions, even emotions we often think of as negative, are not inherently sinful. A couple of years ago, my wife, Ann and I, we went to this uh, pastor's retreat. It was pastors and their wives, and we were discussing a passage of scripture. I cannot remember what the passage of scripture was, but at some point in the conversation, somebody said something about Jesus getting frustrated or annoyed with his disciples. I think it might have been me. I think I might have been the one to say it, actually, but I didn't really think I was saying anything particularly controversial. Isn't that always what happens when you think you're saying something that's safe? And it's like, oh, that was not a safe thing to say, it turns out. One of the wives in the group became very upset. She was horrified with the idea that Jesus would feel frustrated with his disciples. I found this a bit baffling. It is clear to me that however you want to describe them, Jesus at times felt negative emotions in response to the repeated foolishness of his disciples. Jesus responded to Peter's doubt in Matthew 14 with consternation. In Matthew 17, the disciples are unable to heal a demon-possessed boy that is then brought to Jesus. Jesus says, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear you? To me, Jesus' frustration, or whatever you want to call it, is clear. Negative emotions are not sinful in and of themselves. There's an idea that has become prevalent in some Christian circles that a Christian should only ever be joyful. There is scriptural warrant for this belief. The Bible talks about joy a good amount. Romans 4.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 says, Always be joyful. Always keep on praying. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. There is an overriding sense of joy all Christians should feel. God loves us. Jesus has conquered sin and death. Every other experience of this world that elicits an emotional response is secondary in relation to what God has done. What this means for many Christians in practice is that emotions that are not joy are thought of as the wrong emotions to have. The best way to deal with these feelings is to deny them or suppress them. In Christian circles where joy is the only valid emotional state, this expectation seems to be especially applied to women. Joy being the only valid emotion for Christians is a vast 
oversimplification of the picture painted in scripture of what it means to be spiritually and emotionally mature. A mature Christian is not someone that never experiences any emotion but joy. In fact, some negative feelings are an inevitable result of loving people in a broken world as God commands. Throughout the Bible, those we look to as models for our faith, they were not joyful in every moment. We see this with Paul. We have spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians over the past couple of years. In this letter, Paul frequently communicates his frustration. In 2 Timothy, Paul reports feeling alone. Jesus also had emotions of all types. Jesus was sad. When Lazarus died, he wept. Jesus felt an anguish we cannot imagine the night of his arrest. He said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Even the Holy Spirit, who is the source of joy for Christians, is not only joyful. In today's text, Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Our sin, whether it's how we act or how we feel, makes the Holy Spirit sad sometimes. Yet the Holy Spirit is not emotionally unstable. There is an ever-present joy. This joy is connected to the action of God in the world. It is by the Holy Spirit you were redeemed. It is through God and Christ you were forgiven. Joy is a result of the certainty that the sovereign promises of God will be fulfilled. For Christians, emotional maturity results when our feelings take into account God's promises. This requires us to be honest about what we are actually feeling in relation to God. Often we don't want to do this. To be honest with God about what we are feeling, we must be honest with ourselves. Our feelings are often a source of shame and insecurity for us. We worry that if we are honest about what we feel, that God will reject us. God doesn't reject his children for stating what they honestly feel. He is not threatened by our emotions when they are a reaction to the brokenness of this world. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk is a great example of this. In his desperation, he openly questions why the Lord waits to deal with injustice. When God says how he will bring about justice, Habakkuk's concern only grows. By the end of the book, 
By the end of the book, Habakkuk is no longer expressing his emotional disappointment to God. He is able to say, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. His joy comes through engaging his emotions with the promises of God. We need to bring all we feel into direct contact with God's promises. I have interacted with a lot of Christians over the course of my life that have failed to do this. They say they believe the promises of God, but it is clear that what they claim to believe has not impacted their emotional state. They are emotionally volatile. The people that interact with them feel the need to walk on eggshells around them because they can be set off by the slightest provocation. They are motivated not by the promises of God, but by the wrath, anger, and malice that Paul highlights. Because they operate based on wrath, anger, and malice, they interact with everyone else on this basis. They manipulate or they bully. Those who are building their emotional foundation on the promises of God will be maturing emotionally. They will become more emotionally stable. They will be able to handle greater levels of adversity in this world than they were able to five years prior. They will bring the emotions they feel that they don't understand before God because they will have confidence in the love of God. You can determine a lot about how emotionally and spiritually mature a Christian is based on how they interact with their emotions and how they interact with others. Verse 26 and 27 of today's text says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun Go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We've all experienced the emotion of anger and the sin that it can cause. Driving down the road, a car or driving erratically cuts us off. Anger swells within us. Whether we act on it or not, we hold on to our anger. We murder the driver in our hearts repeatedly. We might even take out our anger later that day on somebody else that had nothing to do with the incident. The spiritually mature person has emotions. They get cut off in traffic. They feel anger. If the situation warrants it. 
There's a lot to reasonably feel angry about in our world. I've been angry a lot this week about the terrorist attacks in Israel last week. That's worth being angry about. We frequently interact with injustice, unrighteousness, and just, just bad drivers. Falsehood is prized over truth. The anger of the spiritually mature person does not lead to sin. Anger shouldn't fester. It shouldn't metastasize. It should not turn into wrath. Our actions should not be the result of how we feel. In addition to interacting with their emotions differently, the spiritually mature person will interact with others differently. Paul writes in verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. A person whose emotional state is based on this world will not treat others well. They may be able to fake it with some people. They may treat others well if it gets them something. They have a reputation to maintain, but they won't be able to fake it with everyone. Years ago, I interacted with somebody that was supposed to be a mature Christian leader. And his theology was solid. I had no issues with his theology. He was, he was very careful about the way he behaved. In general, he seemed solid. There, there was just one problem. He treated his wife poorly. He was harsh and demanding with her. It was clear that his spiritual maturity was not genuine, or it was, it was very limited. He was a man-child. The only way we can treat others with tenderness and mercy is by remembering how we have benefited from the promises of God in Christ. The people we interact with on a regular basis are going to make us feel all sorts of negative emotions. If we treat others as our emotions are guiding us, we will treat them with bitterness, wrath, and anger. And in general, you know what tends to happen? Is that bitterness, wrath, and anger tends to increase over time as we have more experiences in the world. When our emotions have been redeemed through the promises of God, we will treat others as Jesus treated us. We won't respond with malice because we have experienced the love and mercy of God. We respond with forgiveness because we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. In the movie Big, Tom Hanks' character lacked maturity. He was a child running around in a man's body. And for a while, for a while, that went pretty well. But then the cracks began to show. 
he could only pretend to be mature for so long. We may be able to fool ourselves and others for a while that we are emotionally mature. Often, people use faith to paper over their lack of emotional maturity. They act in legalistic ways or they avoid different difficult conversations. They're always ready with that Christian cliche for every circumstance. Most of the people an emotionally immature person interacts with are fooled. The Holy Spirit is not fooled. The more our emotional experience of the world is informed by the promises of God, the more emotionally mature we will become. The Bible tells us many of the promises God makes. Isaiah 41.10, Deuteronomy 31.8, Psalm 32.8, Matthew 11.28-29, 2 Corinthians 12.9-10. I could list many more. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of many of those promises. Jesus promises he will send us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. Our emotions will not cause us to sin if we process them through the promises of God. If the promises of God are our foundation. We will be mature, able to process our emotions in productive ways. As Christians, we aspire to emotional and spiritual maturity. For both, the promises of God are our foundation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I don't know what, what promises of God, which of your promises the people in this room need to be reminded of today, Lord. I pray that you would be with us, Lord, that we would engage deeply with the promises that you have made, the, the promises that you have fulfilled, and the promises that you are fulfilling, Lord. I pray that those promises would be the basis for how we interact with our world, that they would be the basis for how we move into both spiritual and emotional maturity. I ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We will now stand and sing.